Friday the 13th, part two. That's right. We are at the second installment of the Friday the 13th series, so let's start things off. We start with some asshole kid walking on the street and stepping one foot into a river of flooded water. What a dumb dick. He's singing Itsy Bitsy Spider. Suddenly Jason steps right behind him. And we know it's Jason because we got the music. Okay. Quick question. One, who's this dumb fucking kid? We never see him again. Two, where are we? And three, how the fuck did Jason get here? Turns out a survivor from part one has been released from the hospital and is home. And she has a dream in which she sees herself interacting with Pamela Voorhees. Now, maybe I'm in the minority here. I don't think I am. But when I dream, I typically do not see myself. I typically see through my eyes and see what's going on around me. But apparently, we're just going to go ahead and recap the first movie. So, this is just pretty much last time on Friday the 13th. How long is this thing going to go on? Seriously, it's like five fucking minutes at this point. Uh, She somehow also sees Pamela talking to herself, even though she wasn't there during that scene. So, not sure how that happened, but whatever. Um, Yeah, so we even get the Jason jump scare. So... We are still going to have to ask that, answer that question of how Jason went from a 10-year-old boy to a full-grown adult in two months. Alice jumps awake, not at a scary part, mind you. She wakes up to them saying, what, Jason Boy is not there. So that was a scary part of her dream, is her going, he's still out there. Yeah, that's that's when you jump awake. Not, not re- remembering the hallucination you had where a fucking burnt-up little body. Still not sure how he, why he was burnt, because he drowned. Wound up coming out of the water and grabbing you out of there. Whatever. So Alice gets a phone call, and it's her mother. And they have a fight before Alice strips down in her room and gets into a robe in order to shower. I'm just going to leave that one be, because there's going to be a lot of moments that aren't going to make a lot of sense, realistically-wise. Uh, we got a fake-out of someone killing her in the shower, but instead she opens the curtain and answers the phone again, but this time nobody is on the other line. So maybe the calls are coming from inside the house. I don't know. She locks her door, which feels kind of late at this point, and Alice hears a noise outside. Remember that I just said she locks the door, but she looks over and her window is wide open, and there's clearly stairs outside. Not like fire escape stairs, like normal wooden stairs. So I don't know where this window leads out into, but whatever. She's totally shook and grabs an ice pick, but jump scare, it's a cat. It's a dick move, kitty. Uh, Alice goes to the fridge to get something to eat for the cat, and Pamela Voorhees' head is in the freezer. Or in the fridge, sorry. Jason then stabs her in the temple with the ice pick that was in her hands moments ago. So many questions. All right, let's, let's do this. How did Jason find her? How did he know that she killed his mother? Okay, well, maybe he saw her. 
Still doesn't understand the fact that how did he find her? How did he track her down? How did he get here? He's been foraging in the forest. It's not like he can fucking drive. He's not fucking Michael Myers. Why did he bring the head with him? Why did he put it in the fridge? Did the head have a fever? I mean, how did Alice not hear anything when she was in the shower for 36 seconds? Why did the logo just explode? What the fuck is going on in this movie? Shout out to Exxon as a dude and a big-haired woman roll up to Crazy Ralphs. She flaps her titties over to the payphone. Remember those kids? Yeah, payphones are a thing. I meant the payphone, not the titties. A blonde douche has, with a newsies hat is, call, or is calling a guy named Ted. Uh, Ralph comes over, because he's Crazy Ralph, and tells that our new idiots are doomed. Some random dude then tows them away. Uh, they chase after him, and a dorky dude welcomes them to God Country. And it was a big gag. The guy works at the gas station. Ah, it's funny. So they drive off, but they have to um, stop because there's a tree in the road. <sighs> I don't know anyone's name in this. I'm going to do the best I can. There's a shit ton of unnamed characters in this as well that just suddenly disappear halfway through the movie as well. But we'll get there. Uh, big Hair decides to wander off, and she finds a Camp Crystal Lake sign. Apparently these people are going to be at another camp on the other side of the lake. First up, there was a camp on the other side of the lake? That's since when? And also, the original camp is called Camp Crystal Lake because it sits on Crystal Lake. There's another camp that sits on Crystal Lake. What the fuck did they name it? Do you think they get in like a like a fucking weekly fight with them? Like, you took the name before we did. Oh. It just... It, I, this lake doesn't seem big enough to have two different fucking campgrounds on it. Because mind you, like this is like summer camp, so there's like a bunch of different shit. And we see Camp Crystal Lake is pretty fucking big. Anyways. <laughs> Discount Carrie Elvis rings the bell, and one of the counselors are wheelchair-bound. So, well, it's a, it's a nice nice hire. Uh, some hot chick in a cut-off top with her ass cheeks hanging out goes her walk, and some studly dude hits her in the ass with a rock. Because that's how you flirt in the 80s, apparently. Also, that's a highly inappropriate outfit to wear. Even if you are just a camp counselor, it's still a job. Paul welcomes them to counselor training. So we're not even doing a summer camp. This is just training for camp counselors. He is interrupted by some chick rolling up, and Paul walks over to to her. Uh, doesn't say a word to her. She follows him into the office and starts ripping into Ginny, his assistant. And she is totally hot for him. Uh... Also, at this point, I have to question, is everyone introduced in this movie wanting to fuck the person that they're on screen with? Because we see, like, wheelchair dude and some chick make fucking sex eyes with each other. We know our first two people that we met in this thing are definitely banging. And now you've got Jenny rolling up here, fucking trailing a mop behind her. Uh, Sweet Burger King reference by Paul. Uh, but then Jenny can't get her car started. He's, he's blathering on about something. Uh, he tells the ladies to keep clean during their menstrual cycle. That was a line of dialogue in this movie. And then he somehow teleports over to Ginny and helps her get her car started. So, we did throw out a couple of names here. I don't remember them offhand. Uh, it was very quick, and pretty much at this point all I know is uh, skinny little dude is Ted, uh, Paul is our main camp counselor, and Ginny. We cut to a campfire, and Paul is going to give it to us straight about Jason. His body was never found, and he has been surviving in the wilderness until now, where he is full-grown. So there you go. We just completely explained away the end of this one. Alice had a dream about a hallucination she had. She had a hallucination, and at the start of this movie, had a dream about that hallucination. Got it. Also, Jason took Alice's body, probably to fuck it. Um, most likely while his mother's head watches as well. 
But hey, there's a black dude in camp. He doesn't get a name. He doesn't get any lines. He doesn't even get a fucking death scene in this thing. But there's a black dude in camp and an Asian chick, too. Studley Scott, that's right, seems pretty shook by the story. Uh, Jenny is staring at Paul's dick. And some dude jumps up in a mask. And it's Ted. Ted is actually pretty ripped. He's got, like, fucking six-pack abs here. Paul says Jason drowned, Pamela's dead, and the camp is off limits, blah, blah, blah. There are, like, 30 people in this fucking movie, and I know four people's names. Oh, I also know Jason's name, because he's right outside the camp. Scott tries to fuck a dog. That's a, that's a line I wrote in my notes, because he gets kind of shut down by uh, Terry. And then Terry, is that what her name is? I think it is. Uh, then he just grabs her dog, which, who the fuck? This The same chick that can't be bothered to fucking dress normal for this thing also has a fucking dog with her, by the way. Jenny then fucks up to bed, and Sandra, our big titty friend from the start, wants to have Jeff join her at Camp Crystal Lake. Jenny arrives at the cabin and instantly removes her shirt, but then she puts on a heavy robe. You shouldn't sleep in your brats. Uh, it's not good for you. Someone knocks on her door, and it's Paul. Paul opens her, ro- her robe in full view of anyone walking by. And it would appear that someone is in fact outside. It's Crazy Ralph. He starts to reach for his cock when suddenly he is garroted behind a tree. Garroted? 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 Sure. Whatever. He gets strangled by a fucking wire behind a tree. At this point, either Jenny or Paul would have could have looked like 23 centimeters to the right and seen this fucking guy getting strangled. Jenny wakes up to, up to see Beware of Bears written on his mirror. That's a waste of lipstick. We get a POV shot of someone walking through the forest while everyone else walks by. I don't know what this is for, because I don't think this is Jason, but it could be, but it doesn't really amount to anything. Uh, a random dog is walking through the woods. It's not a really random dog. It's it's Muffin, I guess is her name. Uh, Ginny is chainsawing through some wood while Ted roasts hot dogs. And Terry, who, I kid you not, Wikipedia calls a tomboy, even though she was walking through before with her ass hanging out in a tube top, is missing her dog. Sandra is rocking a bikini top, much to my delight, and she pulls Jeff with her to Camp Crystal Lake. That top does very little to keep the girls in place. <sighs> so, of course, we have to go to Camp Crystal Lake, because that's what this whole thing's about, isn't it? Um, but it would appear as though they maybe didn't have the original set anymore, or didn't have the budget, because these two do not make it to Camp Crystal Lake, and we never see the camp. We get a a far too long walk to the camp before Jason steps off from behind a tree, uh, but then he is somewhere in front of them a second later. Uh, But apparently it's just a different pair of shoes and pants because this is actually somebody else. But Sandra and Jeff find Terry's dog. Dead. Fucking mutilated. The sheriff winds up finding them and bringing them back to camp. So yeah, they never make it to the camp. We never see the camp or anything like that. So uh, for a movie that's like quintessential... Camp Crystal Lake, this is it, this is where we go all the time. This movie doesn't feature it at all. This features another camp on the other side of the river. Which, I guess I kind of appreciate, because it makes more sense than that, you know, that he would just be kind of staking out the area around it, because apparently there was another fucking camp the entire time. Um, the cop sees Jason run off to the road after he brings him back to camp. Um, for those who've never watched the Friday the 13th series, it would be a surprise to you that Jason is wearing a burlap sack over his head instead of a hockey mask. Stay tuned for the next episode for that little bit. The sheriff runs through the woods after Jason. It's a solid two minutes of this dude running through the woods. And not ever seeing Jason. Like, he's just running. Uh, But he finds Jason's makeshift house. And Jason is living in style, son. 
The sheriff starts to dramatically open various places, but none of them have Jason in them. He then finds a room that makes him say, oh my god, before he gets a claw hammer to the fucking dome. So there you go, we're halfway through this movie and we have killed two people. Uh, and both of them, oh sorry, three people, and all three of them were from the last movie. So, interesting there. Terry has some huge hard nipples. Right, tomboy, totally. Paul offers everyone a night in the town before they get serious tomorrow, but only Ginny and Ted take him up on it. Terry and her nips go for a walk. Ginny, Ted, Paul go to the bar, and uh, Terry yanks her tits out and drops her pants, because she's a tomboy. Uh, we actually get full frontal from her, which is nice. Uh, does it make sense that this so-called tomboy is now skinny dipping in the middle of the night with like 20 random people around her? No. Does it have to? Not when nudity is involved. Jeff and Sandra run off to fuck. I can't put it any other way than that. Vicky wants to play video games with Mark to determine positions. He's in a wheelchair. Pretty sure he's only going to have one position, and he's going to have a handicap in whatever game you play. Terry emerges from the water giving us a clear titty shot, as well as some bush, and someone steals her clothes. This is why you don't get naked around a bunch of teenagers. Also, she has a swimsuit. We saw it before. Terry... Now covering her tits with both hands. Not her gooch. No, don't cover that. Cover your breasts. We see Scott has stolen her shirt, and she chases him. With her bush in full view, mind you. Like, she has a little bit of a conversation with this guy while she's holding her breasts, which, not the important aspect of it you should be covering, should probably be covering a baby maker instead. She winds up getting her pants on, she chases him, and Scott steps into a snare. Terry grabs her shirt back, and uh, this scene is actually parried in Harper's Island, if I ever get back around to doing that series. Uh, Terry makes it back to the cabins, but Jason slits Scott's throat. Someone throws a backpack at Terry, which happens to have a pocket knife, on a pocket knife in it. She then finds Scott's dead body, and Terry is then killed off-screen. Why? Like, we have a limited amount of named characters in this. And mind you, every other camp counselor that has filled out the, these ranks here has now just disappeared and will not be mentioned at all in this movie again. Like, it would have been fine if they would have totally been like, if more of them would have been like, oh yeah, we're going to go out in the town too. But only three of them go. Like, the rest of the camp counselors like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to stay here too. And then they just... I guess it's implied that they get killed, but we never see any bodies or anything like that. We don't even see any like random bodies where you're just like, oh, I guess that's one of the other ones. Nope, nothing. So yeah, why why waste a, an off-screen death then on somebody who's actually a named character? Ginny drops a hard R. She gives us a psychological profile for Jason, giving him motive, as well as making him a sympathetic killer. Don't know that I needed that force-fed to me. I pretty much got it. He's, he watched his mom die. He wants to kill everybody. Great. So that's great. Uh, Mark is still hanging out with Vicky playing games, and we see Jeff and Sandra making out. Her nips are clearly visible. Vicky then asks how Mark wound up in the chair. Kind of a dick move. Like, it's not really great conversation. Uh, he says he was in a motorcycle accident, then Vicky asks if his dick works. He seems to insinuate it does not. Or maybe it does. Who knows? Uh, she asks him, you know, if, if it's just his legs aren't working, and he says, I do okay, which makes it seem like his dick doesn't work. Um, also, then she lights up a, a blunt. My God, Jeff is a weird-looking dude. 
Sandra removes her top, but for some reason doesn't show anything. And that's a shame. Vicky and Mark start to make out, and Vicky needs to grab some things from her cabin, but the lights are out. Oh, this is another weird one. She removes her top and keeps her bra on, because apparently we can only have one person naked in this movie, and puts on a huge sweater. I thought she was going to go get some dick, but why would you put on this sweater? She drops her pants and underwear, again, nothing seen here, and puts on a similar pair of panties. She then sprays perfume on her neck, on her like tummy a little bit, but then on her pussy. No, 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 just no. Never do that. Poor Mark now has to drink perfume off your lady bits. That shit doesn't taste good. Also, that's a good way to get a UTI. Vicky then runs to her car, still without pants on, mind you. She finds a vibrator. Nope, a hairbrush, hairbrush. Uh, it starts to rain and giant comical lightning hits. At least this time, they learn that lightning is white, and it makes they make white flashes instead of the like orange nuclear blast from the first movie. Marco's looking for Vicky because it's been like 20 minutes of her fucking rolling around, and he starts to roll, but then just starts looking back and forth, the same thing. This scene has a lack of suspense because it takes so long, and he's just sitting there. Like, he's not rolling forward or anything like that, or he's just kind of looking back and forth a little bit. He then gets slammed in the face with a machete before he rolls down like 20 flights of stairs, and the movie freeze frames for some reason. Oh, because it's the 80s. Sandra just came as Jason joins the party. It must smell in that cabin. He grabs a spear from earlier and slowly walks upstairs. Uh, Jeff keeps Sandra's dirty pillows covered because he hates me, and they both get impaled through the uh, on the spear. Okay, so... That's it. They both get impaled with the spear. Two bodies in a mattress offer very little resistance for a wooden spear. We've seen this thing. It's not real. It's not a fucking metal spear that he's got. But apparently he is strong enough to, to slam this thing to fucking two people and a mattress because it hits the floor. Paul and Jenny are headed back to camp and they leave Ted there. I thought they were his ride. Vicky returns to the cabin to find Mark. And she walks upstairs. Pretty sure he's not... Or she, she's trying to find Mark. She then proceeds to go directly upstairs. Pretty sure he's not upstairs. That dude's not getting up those steps. She finds Sandra and Jeff under the covers. But wait, it's Jason! He slashes her thigh, and for some reason, he's hung Jeff up. I, I get... I get... Like, moving his body out of the way so you can take his place. And I guess he assumed someone was going to eventually go there. But... Why Why hang Jeff? You, like, you already killed him. Slowly, the knife and Jason's bruised thumbnail slam a knife into Vicky. Paul and Ginny return. Uh, is Ted going to survive the massacre because he wanted to keep drinking? Because that's a really good fucking like story to tell kids. Like, If you if you think you might have a serial killer at your, uh, at your camp, just spend the night drinking and outside the side of town. Again, where, where did the black guy go? Where did Asian lady go? Where did camp counselor number two go? Paul remarks that the kids smoke better dope than he does. I don't know how he figured that out by just looking at a roach, but whatever. Jenny finds the the bed covered in blood. And Paul is quick to say, nothing's going on here. Clearly something's going on here. Even if it's not a serial killer on the loose, like, somebody needs to see a doctor, because that's an exceptional amount of blood there. And everybody's gone there's no bodies around for whatever reason and 
like I said, there's like 30 people at this camp, so he's got to have like a fucking pile of them somewhere. Jason attacks Paul, but misses, and Ginny is no help as a two-tussle on the floor. Old Sackhead then jumps up and Ginny runs. Way to let your boyfriend die, bitch. Jason breaks the window to try to get her, and she runs again. She finds Crazy Ralph, which must be confusing for her because she has no fucking clue who he is. Ginny then tries to get her car started and gets scared by Jason again. He, like, So he's just in like his fuck with the final girl stage of his plan because he could easily kill her at numerous times of this thing. Also, seeing Jason go flying due to her opening the car door is very comical. She then kicks him in the dick, so apparently that still has some feeling in it. And Ginny tries to get into Vicky's car, and Jason kind of just saunters by and then away. More running. Even more running. Like, there's a montage of running in this movie. Jason finds a house, of course. This is where Ginny is. The house is rat-infested, apparently, as well. And Ginny pisses herself, and it leaks out from under her bed, alerting Jason. Now, I'm sorry, did you piss yourself because the rat came up to you? Like, what are you more afraid of, lady? The guy that just fucking killed a bunch of people? Or a goddamn rat? Jason tries to kill her, but, and I kid you not, the chair he is standing on breaks as he tries to. She then starts up a chainsaw, which spooks Jason, you heard me, and then hits him with a chair. She thinks this is enough to kill a person. You had a chainsaw. Use that shit. Ginny then, stops me if you've heard this before, runs away. Ginny finds Jason's love shack, and you can clearly see Jason running up to the house from the window, which may be the best moment of this movie. Terry, the cop, and Alice are all just hanging out around Jason's mom's head, and Ginny puts on Pamela's sweater. Somehow she's able to do a pretty passable impression of Pamela, even though she has never met her. But Jason's fooled by it. Why does Jason have only one eye hole in his sack? Yeah. Seems detrimental to his ability to kill. You think you would need some depth perception to make sure that you're actually stabbing people. Ginny gets Jason to kneel down before her, and she raises the machete. He sees his mom's head and blocks her swing. Paul X Machina arrives, and I call bullshit. How the fuck did he find them? They're in his fucking love shack, and they had a, they had stopped someplace in between that we have no fucking clue where it was. So how the fuck did Paul find them? Ginny grabs the machete and finally looks like she's going to do something, and she stabs Jason through the shoulder. Ginny then takes his mask out, but we don't get to see what they see. Paul then has to carry Ginny due to her getting slashed by, in the leg by Jason. They return to the site of who knows how many murders. Ginny is also openly weeping at this point. They hear a sound outside the door. Paul hands Ginny the port pitchfork as he heads over with a shovel handle. He gives her the weapon that you could actually stab someone with and instead takes the weapon that is not going to do very much. Paul reaches for the door slowly and opens it to find Muffin, which I thought was dead, but apparently that was a different dog that just kind of looked like it. Well, it's an orphan now anyways. Ginny gets up, but Jason dives through the window, now without his mask, and grabs her. Now I see why that mask only had one eye hole. Goony face. The scene cuts to white, and then Ginny's loaded into an ambulance. Did I miss something? Where'd the rest of the movie go? She calls up for Paul, but nobody says anything. And they just load her in the back and drive away. Did they run on a movie? Uh, out of, like, money after this movie? Seriously. 
We see Pamela's head on the altar as the movie rolls credits. That's how it ends. Paul, Ted, they're alive. Fucking 30 other people that were in, the, in there. Were they? Nope. I don't know. Nobody knows. How the fuck did Ginny get away from Jason? Will we find out in part three? Will I ever stop asking questions that will never get answered?